and laws and ordinances, but beyond that. You see, it's both for Jew and Gentile because even the Jew was separated from God because they could only fulfill laws that gave them entrance near God. But with the blood of Jesus Christ, all that has been abolished. And we have an invitation into the very presence of Jesus. You know, all of history was aiming. There was a momentum from the time when God created man through to all those times of wanting relationship and building relationship and, and seeking a people that he could demonstrate his glory and love through. There was a momentum throughout history. And in fact, the Bible says that in First Peter and Matthew 13, that the prophets and kings of the old dreamt of a day. They had a hunger for, they had an anticipation for something that they could never touch, that you and I get to experience, that you and I get to see, that you and I get to taste. They long for that day. They saw it in a distance, but they could not get hold of it. But for us, it's been given. And it's so important that we understand that because you see, the, what happens is the enemy works hard to distract us um, with problems from the divine moment that we are living in right now. So we begin to think in terms of the size of the challenge and, and not the size of our destiny. We begin to think in terms of the size of the problem that's before us instead of the size of God that is on our side. We think of the size of the impossibilities rather than the God of, of how big our God is where everything is possible. And so it's so important we understand the, the momentum that exists in the growth of the kingdom of God that we stand in, that we're in now, that there's a historical momentum that's come through from the very beginning that's pushing us into the things of God into the future. There's a great momentum. We need to have a sense of identity in our destiny. We need to understand that we do not simply live lives unto ourselves. It's not just about his purposes in my life. It's about that which is even beyond us, which comes after us. You see, if I say no to God's purposes in my life, it doesn't only affect me, but it affects future generations. Why? Because it diminishes my spiritual inheritance. See, if I, if I say no to God's purposes in my life, I am removing the potential that was available for God to give to future generations. If I say no to God, I'm robbing future generations. We need to understand the scope of where we stand, what's been done for us, who we are and where we're going. You know, right now, we stand in a place that has been laid out by generation after generation before us. The prayers, the faith, the, the calling, the courage of other generations that have been given to us, that have been poured out onto us. And the question is, how are we going to carry it? How are we going to carry it? When Sue and I were up in, in the States um, and we were... Uh, we, we, we were in San Francisco. We went to a place called the House of Peace. Home of Peace. I can never get the name right. The Home of Peace. And it's in oh yeah? Oakland, 
which is a very, very run-down, poor part of San Francisco. And you kind of, you drive off the motorway, you start locking doors and winding up windows. And it has that kind of, it really is very, very run-down. And you turn around, and you go up this little drive, and there's this great big old three-story house. Uh, and uh, we stayed there for board, uh, bread, uh, bread. Yeah, bread and water. Yeah, no, no. Night and breakfast. What do you call it? Bed and breakfast. <laughs> A lot of bees in there. It was just getting too much for me. Whew, got overwhelmed by the bees. Anyhow, so we stayed there. But what made it so special is that that house was built back in the 1880s, I think it was. And it was built by a woman who had a healing ministry. And uh, she's not very well known today because she wasn't kind of, um, she was very uh, humble, um, an introvert, but she, she had profound, amazing healing ministry. In fact, John G. Lake, who I guess most of you would have heard of, he, he, he wrote a letter to her saying the reason he went into the healing ministry because it was because of her and what she had done. And um, we were there and we were talking to the lady and um, she'd just taken over and she was talking about how all these different people had stayed in her house. And, um, you know, we love, absolutely love history. And she said, oh, yeah, there are the visitors' books. And Sue started kind of salivating at that point in time. She said, oh, can I look? And the one said, yeah, yeah, in fact, take them up to your bedroom. So Sue took up all these old, she opened up, and the first one was a entry, I think it was from William Booth, saying how much he'd enjoyed there. Then there was Jenny, Jenny um, Seymour, who was William Seymour, who started Ayusa Street, his wife, saying how much she enjoyed there. And um, there were places from Smith Wigglesworth and all these people who'd stayed in this house that we were now sleeping in. And, uh, you know, kind of just an amazing, how incredible place. And, uh, yeah, just, just simply wonderful time that we had there. But not only was it all the big people that we saw in the, those books, because there was just volume after volume, but as you turn over the page, there was person after person, because this house had been the centre where virtually all the early Pentecostal missionaries had been sent out to Asia and Africa from, because Oakland used to be one of the major ports. And so you had page after page of men and women who none of us know who they are today, but who gave their lives to go out to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's really what I'm saying, is that these people laid their lives down and built a history that you and I now stand on today. Men and women we don't know anything of, but who faithfully served, who faithfully served so you and I could be here today. You see, none of us live unto ourselves. We are robbing what God has planned to give to others through our lives when we just live to ourselves. Our place in the scope of time is vital realising the centuries of momentum that have been made so I can make courageous decisions today. You're not just living for yourself. You're not just living for selfish outcomes. You're actually involved in a movement that is going to see the kingdom of God manifested throughout this planet. And God has purposed in himself in Christ, to bring this about, to release it into our lives. One of the other things about this great mystery of what he's doing in this, this um, thing of restoring us, 
And by the way, I guess the title of my sermon could be Stepping into Priesthood. Because we're called to be priests and kings. You know, another part of this whole mystery of God, as we read the book of Ephesians, is about unity. We see the unity of, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit being dis- on display. Ephesians 1, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. It says that Jesus came from the Father, manifesting the Father exactly. And when Jesus went back, he said, I'm going to send you a com- another comforter. And that word there, the another comforter, in the Greek means exactly the same as. In other words, he's going to send one who is exactly the same. So Jesus came from the Father, exactly representing him. He goes back and gives a spirit who exactly represents him. See, in God, there is unity. There's a perfect connection and relationship. And that's what he accomplished on Calvary through his blood. Every single right to separation and division was destroyed. Jesus paid the price so there would be no separation. That is why racism and sexism are so nauseating and untenable. Jesus paid the price that there would be no separation between the sexes. There would be no separation between the races. Instead, we would be be a celebration of the uniqueness of every culture and of every tribe and of every nation as we stand together carrying the glory of God. And you see, racism is actually a war uh, against the purposes of God through Jesus Christ. Because he has abolished all legal reasons for there to be any separation, for there to be any division. He destroyed it through what he did on the cross. He destroyed the greatest separation imaginable when he destroyed that war between Jew and Gentile. And so, and he makes though the two which were un, uh, uh, un, impossible to come together, that were unjoinable, to become perfectly one and united as a one as one new man. In the same way that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are perfectly united. Jesus' prayer in, in John seventeen that you may be, that they may be one as we are one, just as I am in you, Father, and you are in me, even as we are one. Jesus praying, saying, Father, I want them so united on earth that they're like us, that they can represent us. See, Jesus Jesus became the manifestation of perfect unity and he imparts that to us to give us that life for us to carry it. We are partakers of Christ. Ephesians 3.5 in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. That's talking about the mystery. As it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ. We're brought together. The priesthood of the believer is one of unity. goes on in verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now what Paul's referring to there when he talks about the manifold wisdom of God is actually um, that, that whole new thing about the one new man who is now one in Christ, the same way that the Father, Son and Holy Spirit is. To, it goes on. 
Um, to the intent now that manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the internal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Isn't that amazing? We have boldness and confidence to come into his presence. That's the invitation of being priests. You see, so often we try to live Christian in a certain Christian behavior, which can be good, but we need to understand it begins with us understanding who we are. The thing with Ephesians, if you study Ephesians, you see uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about doctrine. 4, 5, and 6 are all about conduct. But why? Because good theology sets the stage for good conduct. If you know why, you pay the price. If you understand what's been laid down, then it's easier for you to respond. And so Jesus, God, uh, sorry, Paul here is talking about this manifold wisdom of God. You know, that manifold wisdom there, that word manifold talks about like it's a multicolored. There's another way to look at it, the multicolored wisdom of God. The multicolored wisdom of God. In other words, he's, he's describing the people of God working together in unity to release and make known the will of God, to carry the influence we have in the world. You know, you can have an orchestra. We're back to music again. We're, you can have an orchestra and you want to tune that orchestra and you might get someone to, um, I don't know, hit a, 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 a string of the guitar to play a note that everybody, that everybody, and so everybody in the orchestra tunes their, their instruments at that note. Now, it all might be unified, but if that note is wrong, or if that guitar is out of tune, the whole orchestra is going to be out of tune. What you do is you get a tuning fork and you get the perfect note, and then you tune all the instruments to that. And what we're called to do as the priests of God is to tune ourselves to the perfect tuning fork, Jesus Christ. See, many times I've seen people that are in unity in the church. Unfortunately, they're unified around an ungodly agenda or under things that aren't of God. But when we tune ourselves to the desires of the one, then we all come into true unity. And as we are constantly retuning ourselves to the one note, we find ourselves in perfect harmony and unity with people of like mind and like spirit. You see, unity is not striving to achieve something together. It's a commitment to be in one accord and connected to his heartbeat. And in that process, we find people of like mind and like heart. And we get drawn because they're all following the same note. Verse 10 there, it says, to the intent that now the manifest wisdom of God may be made known. You know, it's now. It's now. Paul was writing that to the church age, to us. He's letting us know that his purposes and his plan has been worked out. It's been, it has been demonstrated through the people of God. And every time we yield to the call of God, every time we embrace, you see, every time you embrace someone who you don't normally embrace, you're releasing the kingdom of God. 
The fact that you go out of your way, that you live sacrificially in some way, that you take time to be with someone, just even give them a kind word or to, to pray with them or just to say hello, you're extending the kingdom of God. That's what it's about because love is demonstrated by sacrifice. Every time that's done, the manifest wisdom of God is being displayed. And you know what? It says in that scripture that it's been displayed to the principalities and powers, to the whole spirit realm. So God extended himself to all the nations of the world and they rejected him. He chose Israel. He raised them up so everyone could see what he desired to do with all peoples. And now we see Jesus in the flesh. He has abolished the separation that existed in that and he's brought everybody together. It's like he's gone back to the original plan. Gone from all nations, they rejected him and he went to one nation. Now he's bringing back all nations into relationship. He's destroyed the hostility that was there. He's destroyed the separation. He's given us an opportunity to come together. You know, as I read earlier in Exodus chapter 19, he said, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Then in Isaiah 61, 6, it says, you shall be named the priests of the Lord. In both those verses, it says, you shall be. He's declaring that there will be a time coming when people will be priests. All the people of God will be priests unto the Lord. But then Peter, in 1 Peter 2, does something extraordinary. He then changes it. And he says now, you are now a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The new year, wow, I like that. The new American says that you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You know, one of the things that I, yeah, you read a verse like that, you know what you want to do with a verse like that? You want to go home, you want to sit down in a chair, and you just want to let that play in your mind. The excellencies of him. Oh, the excellencies of him. And then ask the Holy Spirit to show you some of those excellencies. You won't be disappointed. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So in the Old Testament, we had these people who were selected to be priests, but there was a day we were told in, in Isaiah that there would be a time when all the people would be a priesthood. And Peter comes and makes this incredible announcement. It's not that you shall be, it is now you are. You see, this is a moment of fulfillment of what was being built throughout the, the biblical narrative over all time since creation. And there's a momentum in the kingdom of God that exists. God had a desire for a people. God had a desire for a nation of priests and kings, of sons and daughters who would walk in the fullness of their destiny and their calling and transform planet Earth. And you are that people. 
You are not just merely believers. You are priests and kings, sons and daughters of the Most High God who have been called to bring transformation. Does that excite you? Come on, it's good. You know, we're called to something so much bigger. Written in the centuries are this momentum of the manifest wisdom of God, this multiple coloured coat of divine favour, and it's resting on the people who have chosen to turn their hearts to God and to protect the relational unity they have because there is a momentum of revelation of God's nature that is being released on planet Earth right now. And it's been done through a people that recognise that God has made us a holy nation, that he has called us to be a kingdom of priests. No longer is the priestly ministry to 12 tribes. Now it's to one nation, a nation of new people, of redeemed people. And as Peter says in this passage, you are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. It's no longer about special groups of people. Everyone gets to play, as John Wimber would say. Everyone gets to do the stuff. And the summons that you have on your life, that I have on my life, is to protect what is valuable to him. You know what? The life in the kingdom, one thing I've learned is the life in the kingdom is not complicated. Sometimes I think we complicate it, and when we complicate it, we get ourselves into trouble because we start beginning to think, start telling ourselves we're not worthy, we can't do it, we aren't trained, we're not talented enough, we're not all this. And we go down a road that we were never meant to. But we need to understand it's really, really simple in the kingdom. The whole key, the whole key to your Christian life is one simple word, yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. When you position yourselves with a yes in your heart, at that point, God can use you. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, who you are. A simple, yes, Lord, I'm here, use me. That will transform your life. The Holy Spirit's calling us, really in a sense, I guess, to lift our game. That when we step into that place, of understanding our destiny as a royal priesthood of sons and daughters of the King. The, we have the privilege of carrying the revelation of His goodness to reveal it to this generation in ways that it has not been seen before. It's a privilege we have as a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Let's stand, shall we?